Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we get to talk with Erin Wheeler about one of our favorite topics here at Journey Women, the church, God's people. If you don't know her, Erin is a speaker and contributing writer for TGC and for Nine Marks. She attends University Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where her husband, Brad, serves as the lead pastor. Erin helps with the coordination and teaching of the Women's Institute for Theology at her church, as well as helping lead a mother-daughter Bible study for high schoolers. She works part-time as a labor and delivery nurse and loves discipling, teaching women how to study their Bible and everything outdoors. Aaron's first book, The Good Portion, The Church, is slated to be released in 2022. Aaron Wheeler, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. So wonderful to be with you, Hunter. This is exciting for me. This is really wonderful. I have heard about you through one of my dearest friends from childhood for a very long time, and she has grown so much under your discipleship and your teaching in your local church context. And now the Lord in His kindness has seen fit for us to be in a similar proximity. And so I had the chance to connect with you in person and to find out that you are actually pinning a book and have pinned, in fact, a book that will be published in March of next year, 2022, on the church, which is one of our favorite things to talk about here at Journey Women. So thank you for your willingness to join us and talk about the church today. Oh, it's so wonderful to be with you. And I'm excited because the Lord did bring you back to Northwest Arkansas, but I'm kind of wondering if it's just because of the hogs. I think maybe you came back because you wanted to come to the land of the hogs and call them. (laughs) Woo pig. I got to tell you, whenever I was doing my college tour, they were saying, you know, oh man, all the Arkansas people are going to just absolutely just want to murder me after this statement. But I remember them saying like, this is the only Razorback mascot in the nation. And I'm like thinking... There's a reason for that. Nobody wants to be a pig, people. (laughs) Nobody. Razorback is pretty fearsome looking, though. I don't know. (laughs) My Uh, kids are like, why are there so many pigs everywhere? (laughs) Coming from New England where there's not as much, I don't know, like team spirit. um, It just was, it was a little bit of a shocker to see pigs on everyone's porch. But uh, (laughs) yeah, we're really, really glad to be back here. And I have to tell you, I absolutely wept uh, coming back here because we were members of a wonderful, vibrant local church in New England that we loved so much. But due to the pressures revolving around COVID, the way in which we were able to gather together was really limited. We literally went from a ski hill 
and a local pond to meeting in a hotel like conference room and we weren't even able to sing. And so the first we had to hum because of the the local ordinances and we were trying to go above and beyond just honoring what they were asking of us. And so we were meeting together regularly and it was still a really sweet time. But the first Sunday that I went to University Baptist Church here in Fayetteville, which is the church where your husband pastors, yes, the church sang. And I was weeping. I'm sure everybody around me was like, what does this girl have going on in her life? And all it was, was the collective body of voices Mm -hmm. coming together and testifying and singing loudly of God's goodness in corporate worship. And it literally brought me to tears. So I can't thank you enough for your service to the local church and to the Big C Church in writing Mm -hmm. this book on the local church after having served for how many years? How many years have you guys been working in local church ministry in a professional capacity? 21 years now, actually. It's been a long time. Yes. Well, some of that seminary years, but Brad was a part of church revitalization. So we've been a part of three congregations in that time. So we started at Capitol Hill Baptist Church back in uh, 2000. And then we were there for a couple of years and then went to seminary. While he went to seminary, we're part of Third Avenue Baptist Church, where Greg Gilbert's now the pastor there, who I know I think you've talked to as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, we went back to Washington, D.C., and we're part of Capitol Hill for a number of years while Brad served as an associate. And then now we've been at Fayetteville at University Baptist Church for six years. It's been wonderful. We love it here. Never in my wildest dreams would I ever have thought God would put us here. So one place I told my husband, I'm like, I just don't ever want to go to the South. <laughs> and I was like, and here we are. And I love it. I love where we are. I'm so thankful for where we are. It comes with its own challenges, but there are challenges all over because we're not home. You know what I mean? We're journey. You're talking about being a journey woman. We're sojourners. And so this idea of trying to get comfortable in this life, I'm like, we're not supposed to be comfortable. We're supposed to be looking for heaven and finding those people to walk with us on that journey towards heaven. And that's what the church is for, you know, to help each other along on that journey. Mm-hmm. Well, that's such an encouragement to me, especially given the circumstances that I've been navigating personally. My dad mm-hmm. just passed away since moving. I'm it's so been really sorry. amazing to see God just go before us, even in bringing us back this direction so I can be closer to home. And the church, it's been interesting because, you know, we're not members of a local church yet. We're prayerfully considering where we would commit to being members in this next chapter of our lives. Yet the church was such a service to me. The Big C Church and the Mm -hmm. the church here locally was such a service to me through that time. But I know many of the listeners who are coming to this conversation today may have like various experiences with the local church. Some may feel maybe a sense of shame for not being plugged into a local church and they don't want to listen to a conversation about it because it's like, oh, I know I should do that, but I don't know why. And I don't really have a desire. I think others may be dissatisfied with their local church. I think that that's a lot of times something mentally where people go, well, the church isn't serving me or meeting my needs in this way or that way. Um, Or maybe I just am not seeing like gospel centered preaching in my church or whatever dissatisfaction they may be facing. And then I think still others whom I know personally have had a really like hard experience within uh, the church context that may make them I'm really hesitant to press into this topic. So could you offer some encouragement for those who have pressed play and maybe they're experiencing some hesitation when it comes to listening in on a conversation about the church? What's the value in having this conversation and what's the value in the church? 
Well, first of all, the church is, it's the Lord's idea. It was a divine idea from the beginning of time. And he created this idea of gathering a people to himself. But the issue is people are sinful, which means that there's a lot of hurt out there because sin exists. And so what makes it challenging is that when we look at one particular slice of it, and we think that the whole is like that, Hmm. that's we're actually doing ourselves a disservice because we realize just like the one bad marriage doesn't testify to all bad marriages. Uh, My husband likes to say there are two institutions created specifically for bad people, prisons and churches. I mean, that's the idea that the Lord created churches for sinful people to come and to be with him and his people to demonstrate to the world what he's like. And when we have a bad experience, then we have to recognize that that's not because God is bad. That's because we're dealing with sinful people and all the more reason to be able to press into the gospel hope that he is in the business of changing people. He's a redeemer. He's been redeeming things from the beginning. So as we decreated, he's now recreating that wonderful garden picture we see in Genesis will come in the end. That's what we get to look forward to as his people. I think loving unlovely people is the skill set that we need to grow in. And I think trying to be able to show grace when things are hard, I think we lose out when we try to do the Christian life alone because the Christian life was never meant to be done alone. I, it's really funny. We have, we're training our dog right now and our dog trainer came in and we were talking to him and he found out Brad was a pastor and he said, I've stopped doing church. And I said, really? So this is always so interesting to me. I said, explain to me what you mean by why you stopped doing church. He said, because church has people in it and I don't like people. And I thought that's a really interesting view of, of church. And it's like, yeah, it is people, but this is what it looks like to watch God's grace in people's lives. So sometimes the hurt is there, but sometimes there's also the growth that we get to see in people's lives. So there's just nothing like watching somebody who's fought alcoholism. And then you look at them fight against that sin alongside these brothers and sisters who 10 years later, their marriage was restored, that they're walking in grace in the Lord Jesus. That tells a story of God's redemptive work in a way that you just can't demonstrate alone. That has to be done corporately. And so I think you miss out on so much if you try to do the, the, the Christian life alone. That's not to say there aren't wonderful things like even our the podcast you're doing right now. It's so great to have these other resources that encourage and support, but not supplant the local church. The local church, it's nothing's perfect, right? It's under construction. And so when you've got a bunch of people who are under construction, sometimes things go awry. What I encourage um, sisters to do is to look for healthy churches. There are healthy churches out there. There are some unhealthy ones out there too, but don't let that undergird your desire to leave the church. Let that actually support you pushing back into being an agent for change in a local church. The Lord has used women in the local church forever. We see that in scripture all the time. And so be that woman who wants to be strong for the Lord to be able to support others in that local church context. Amen. We're studying Philippians right now. I know you guys are are as well, UBC, and we were looking at Lydia and how really that was like the beginning of the church Mm -hmm. at Philippi. It's like Lydia. It's just such an encouragement to think that, you know, there is purpose for us there. And also, I love what you said in regard to like church being for people who are bad. Like, I think a lot of times people think that they have to be in a certain place in order to be ready to go to church. 
But can you speak to that? Like, how do we become part of the church? Like, how does that begin? And then how should that fuel our movement toward, you know, joining, joining with a local church? The church is a place for God's people to gather together for the praise and glory of his name. That's what the church is. It's a gathering of the people of God. So to be a part of the church, anybody's welcome to come through the doors of a church anytime. So we always welcome all kinds of people to come through the door. You don't have to be a Christian to actually come into the building. But when we're talking about the church, we're actually talking about the people, not the building. It's a living, breathing organism, the church. So it doesn't matter if the church burns down or if it doesn't matter if you're meeting in a hotel room, you're still going to be the church. We'll still be University Baptist Church because we are a people of God. And so to be a part of that people of God is to join in and to partner with and to covenant among those people. And then to do that, it's to make that profession of faith, to turn from your sin to recognize that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and to recognize that Jesus was the perfect one who took that sin upon himself in our place, condemned he stood, right? And he sealed our pardon with his blood. And it's because of that, that we can have newness of life and that newness of life. And then we're brought in among the people. We don't just do that. We're not brought in to our own walk with Jesus. We're brought in to be among a people of God. And so this idea of like join in and partner alongside for wherever you are. So for you right now, for example, you, I was talking about the three churches we've been a part of Mm -hmm. and you are coming from your context of new England area and your church there to come here and then join alongside of people. And so to be alongside it is to covenant, to commit, to um, partner with, and um, there's no special formula. It's not like there's some perfect plan for that, but there is an idea where you make a profession of faith. And then you come and join in that membership. I call it meaningful membership, where you are known to be known and to know others both and to be a part of them together. Erin, I told you this. We live such a transient lifestyle as a military family. And we came to a church in Columbus, Georgia. I've had Rad Evangelista on the podcast before. He was just a treasured pastor of mine. And I have so much fondness for that body of believers. And he really encouraged us, no matter how long you're here, we would love for you to go through our membership class and to become members of the local church. So what's the value of actually, like you said, joining alongside and not just participating on a Sunday morning and coming to church, but being actively and deeply involved in the local church context? Being known and knowing. It's part of that, this idea that you, when to be known means that people can get in your lives. If you're just a member who comes in, comes out, you're actually not doing some of that dirty work, getting your hands dirty in the lives of people. And that is where real growth happens when you're able to rub up, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The Lord intended for us to be together in order to be in each other's lives. And that's what, isn't that exactly what John says when he says how the, the to the disciples, how will you know your Christians by your love for one another? There's a one another there. How can you one another if there's no other, if it's just you coming in and coming out, you're not actually one another and you can't practice those. You can't practice hospitality. You can't practice speaking that truth and love if you don't really know them. And this commitment to each other and being active to protect and proclaim that gospel witness to the world, because that's what the church is for. It proclaims to the world, this is who God is. 
when we come together, we collectively say as a group, this is who God is. And they say, these are the gospel truths, and we're going to hold those truths out to the world so that they can see it and delight. So in thinking about that knowing and loving God that you're talking about in the series right now, this is how you can know God. And this is how you can love God is through the local church. I mean, it's meant to be a part. So when you're actively involved, then people see things that you don't see. You know what it's like? That's what James talks about. You know, you look in the mirror and you go away and you forget what you look like. Right. But he who studies himself, we can only study ourselves independently so much. There's the group aspect and that corporate aspect of being able to see things in our lives that we're not going to see. We need other people to be able to lovingly point them out and to help us grow in godliness as we're walking that road to heaven. Our, our desire is sanctification through the Lord Jesus's work in our lives. He uses people as part of that project. We are not meant to just do it independent of that. It's just, so there's a lot of that, you know, a lot of the conversations I hear, particularly at work where I, I'm a, a labor and delivery nurse at Washington Regional here in Fayetteville. And a lot of the things, it's more like me and Jesus, I'm okay. Especially when the pandemic hit, it was really interesting to hear conversations in the nursing bay. One woman even said, um, you know what I've learned is that I don't need the church at all. Me and Jesus are just fine. And it started a really interesting conversation between the two of us. I said, well, what are you supposed to do when, say, like for you, your parent dies? Mm -hmm. You're just going to deal with that and not have the support of a local body of believers come alongside you. There's nothing like having that community that loves Jesus. A commonality is Jesus. It may not be anything else, but that undergirding that foundation of Jesus being at the foundation and the core is what will change everything. Mm. When we've been members of local churches, it has been amazing to see how the Lord has given us the, the shared affection for the gospel and partnership in the gospel. And really, in a lot of those contexts, we hadn't had anything else in common necessarily, other than the fact that we lived in uh, the same proximity and yes. you know maybe we shopped at the same grocery store. But I can definitely see how doing life together under the Word of God causes me to grow in my affection for the people who are sitting in the pew next to me. But how does God also use the church to help us on a personal level know and love Him more? Mm -hmm. The church is a means of grace that God's given us to be re weekly refueled, is how I like to put it. We're kind of like a gas tank that needs to be reminded of the truth. So we can do our independent study of His Word as we should be daily in His Word, being instructed by Him through His Word. But He also gives us pastors and shepherds to guide us and to teach us along the way too. So when we sit under that preached Word, the Lord is using it supernaturally in our lives collectively as we sit alongside people who do not look like us or do not have those same interests alongside of us. Rosaria Butterfield once said that we never know the treacherous path someone has taken to sit in the pew next to us. Oh, I love that. And you think about that from a non-Christian coming in the door, but I often think about that even as the Christian coming in the door. My brother or sister in Christ, who I don't know what it took to get her in the door that day, but I know her well enough or I know him well enough to know they have been walking some really hard roads. And so to listen to that preached word alongside them makes me glorify God more because I know them and I can celebrate or mourn with them towards the Lord's Jesus praise and glory of his name. I mean, to the praise of his glorious grace. Isn't that what Paul says? I mean, that's mm -hmm. what it's for. And that's what he created the church to do as a means of glorifying him. So we grow. And when we grow, we glorify. Amen. Amen. I often talk about how God's faithfulness to us 
in times past and not only to us, but to all of his people throughout all of redemptive history, like bolsters our faith. And I love that you're bringing that out. We get to not only do that, looking at the saints of old as we study the scriptures and looking to Christian biography and things mm-hmm. like that. But we can do that in present day, like looking mm-hmm. at a widow, like you said, who's, you know, standing and singing uh, praises to God, even in light of her tragic circumstance of losing her husband and all of these different circumstances when we're doing life alongside one another, <laughs> that will cause us to look to the Lord and to offer him glory and praise. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. I love that we can do that like a family. You have to know what's going on in people's lives to be able to to recognize that, what they're walking through in their life, that hardship, and how God's grace is meeting them right there in that moment. So can you talk a little bit about how God united us together and made us like a family and maybe some of the other helpful metaphors that we see in Scripture that might help us to better understand the church? Yes, the Lord uses picture and story a lot in His Word, doesn't He? And mm-hmm. uh, we are storytellers, and we love to be story receivers too. And so, there's a lot that's said even through from the very beginning of time. The Lord is telling a story to us about His love for us, and He does that in um, these images. So He starts in the garden, and we've got Adam and Eve right there in the garden, and we see this picture of marriage that starts. But what's really beautiful is if you just carry even that one image all the way to the end. Where do we end in Revelation? But it's this beautiful picture of a marriage. It's the wedding feast of the Lord and His bride. And who is His bride? But the church. And so the church is this glorious picture that God has revealed through us from the beginning to the end of time. And um, that's not just one picture. That's just one picture of many pictures that He gives us. So you talk about the family. Well, a family is not a one. It's not an I. It's a we right? And then it's the same thing you think about the body image. So he uses parts of the body. We see that mm-hmm. Paul uses that thinking about all these different parts. How can the eye say the hand, I don't need you and all these things. But again, collective, it's a group. There are all these different parts. We see that vine and branches, sheep in a fold. And I always love the sheep analogy, don't we all? Because we recognize about the stupidity of the sheep, you know, being down in a, in a more of a farming rural community. I'm like, yes, the sheep don't really have a lot of brains. And so you think about going back to that, even that question you asked earlier about church hurt. Yeah. There are a lot of dumb things that are happening along the way, but we are meant to to continue to fight that good fight and persevere together to the end. And we can't do it independent of the Lord and or independent of one another. So all of those pictures show us what God is doing 
by loving a people. So you look at even in Exodus, what does he do when he gathers the people at the bottom of Mount Sinai and they collectively come as Moses comes down to give them the law. Mm -hmm. And it's there collectively that they give praise to the Lord. And it's a picture of a people. So Moses was set aside to give that word, right? That see that as like a, one of our first pastors coming down and he is giving the word to the people. But that's not just the one time we see it. We see it over and over and over again. So that's why um, the New Testament is just riddled with letters to churches because yes. there's local bodies that are getting together, trying to fight that good fight. And depending on who it is, you get some hard words in some of those letters and you have some really encouraging, like Philippians is like, they're really happy. Like, I'm so thankful for your partnership in the gospel, right? And yeah. when you get to Galatians, you're like, who bewitched you? What's wrong with you? <laughs> What's going on here? But the idea that, yeah, that, so you see right there, you've got a lot of defunct people that are working, you know, sinful people working through it but they're working together for the glory of God. And you can't do it without one another. Mm -hmm. You can't just all be eyes and walking around. You wouldn't be able to walk, right? Mm -hmm. And I've all, well, let's not go too far. We just say amputated parts is basically what you'd end up with all over the place. And we're meant to work together. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that it's for the glory of God. And, you know, I would love to hear you expound upon that. Like why, is it important that we understand God's purpose for the church? And what is it that he's given us to do? Like, you know, here we are, like you said, this collective body. Um, what are we to do as we gather together? The main purpose that God has given us is to glorify himself. I mean, that's the first part of the catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, or to glorify God and enjoy him together, right? Or enjoy him forever. And I always say, let's enjoy him together forever. So Mm. I always play off of that a little bit when I think about the local church, because it's when we are working together, because we were made by him and for him, together we collectively can praise him. So we proclaim him. The second thing we do is we actually proclaim him to one another, but we proclaim him to the world in our gathering together. So when people walk in the doors and they see a bunch of misfits that don't fit together, um, that we don't have it all together. If any, if there's any lie that has gotten out, it's that you only go to church if you've got it together. That is one of the worst things that anybody could think. It's like, no, the church is a place for people who need help. But it's not just who they need help. They recognize they need the help. And so they're going to the Lord Jesus for that help. And so they, when they come in and they see these people that have joined forces, so to speak, for the glory of God, they recognize something's happening here that I don't understand. Why is that college kid going over there and talking to those older people and actually seems to enjoy having that conversation? And why is that single guy helping out all of these college kids to help move into an apartment when he, you know, has other things to do with his time. When you see them working together, it's demonstrating to the world a different kind of story than the world would know. It defies the odds, really. So it's, and it naturally produces a witness. So it's evangelistic in nature. But the point of the church is to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 are Jesus's final words to his disciples where he tells them to go to make disciples themselves and to baptize them and to teach them to obey all that the Lord Jesus had taught them. So that is the role of the local church to go and to make disciples who make more disciples is spiritual, not physical. Our main need in life, there are all kinds of things that happen 
But the main thing that we are needy of is the Lord Jesus's love and forgiveness and his grace for those who come to him in faith is his grace to continue on in that journey as we wait for his coming again until he takes us home. And I think that encouraging each other with those words when we're weary is one of the most important things. And I think that's part of that witness. Well, Mike, let's put it this way. I have a friend who just ran a marathon and I was thinking about her the other day because my, my daughter, I took her up to Kansas City to do college shopping or I don't know how you want to put it, college checking out. And uh, <laughs> she happened to be up in Kansas City running this marathon at the same time. So I said, hey, let's go check her out partway through. She doesn't know that we're going to come screaming out of this coffee shop. Oh, so fun. we come out and she's running and we're waving her on and cheering her on. And then I, we got to the finish line. I'm like, let's get her at the finish line too. So we saw her husband and some other friends who had come to cheer her on and we waved her on. But the people coming across that finish line hunter it was wild i it made me cry because as somebody who enjoys athletic activities yeah the feat of running a marathon is incredible so these people come they're crying crying out of pain crying out of joy you know all these different things but then they all go to their people who are waiting for them and they, those are the people that are cheering them on so you think about what a wonderful picture of us encouraging each other on in that, that mm-hmm. race that we're running. So some, they may not have been in the, they're still in the race together, coming together. And I think there's something about that collective witness that the world is seeing. Those who are watching are seeing, look at those people supporting that person as they're going through. And I think there's something about the church like that too, this encouragement towards one another. When we do that collectively to spur one another on, I mean, even just kind of jumping in like, Hey, I'm going to train with you for a little bit. That's how evangelism can work in the church too. That's a whole other area we could run down in our conversation, which, you know, that's, there's just a lot to be said. I have a friend who regularly is reaching out to non-Christians and that how she does that is she brings other Christians in mm-hmm. the process. So she'll mm-hmm. have dinner and she will invite the Christians and the non-Christians over to dinner. But mm-hmm. the Christians she brings over are people she's committed with to in the local church because we are, they're understanding we're going to support each other in this evangelism mm-hmm. effort together, mm-hmm. which is a really beautiful picture. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And one of the things that you talk about is how, you know, we see God's grace in the life of an individual, and that is a wonderful thing to behold. And then we see it in a group like the church, uh, the local church, and then, wow, it's so amplified. Like, it's all of these people who have been recipients of God's abundant grace in their personal lives coming together to give Him glory and to acknowledge that. And then we see it on a broader scale. We see it in the global church. So can you talk a little bit about how the local church and the global or universal church are related and how they're distinct. This is a fun part of writing the book and thinking through all of these things. The local church is a local body of believers who've made a profession of faith and who have covenanted together for this season of their lives while they're here in the area. The universal church is all true believers from all time. So that would be all, I mean, we're going to see Moses, we're going to see Abraham. I mean, it's from beginning of time till the end of time. Those who are not yet born, who would be of the wards. That was what we would call the universal church. Sometimes it can be more a relaxed version of it. Some people may refer to the universal church as the church, local churches around the world today. Some have referred to it as that. Um, but it's the idea that it's you've got the collective big C church, as we talk about, the church universal, that of, and then the church local, which the little C. So it's our local churches that make up the universal church. 
So if we go back to that marathon analogy I was using earlier, so it's all the people that are running the race are part of that universal church. They're all running, but they're coming to their local body at the end, like the people who have encouraged them along the way or who have trained with them, who are being with them. Um, And so you've got that individual. This is why we should be working together as local churches, not competing together. Healthy churches should be laboring alongside each other, encouraging each other in the work that's being done. There's so much wonderful work that can happen that way. So it's really sweet when my husband gets an opportunity to gather with other other church leaders in our area and to pray for evangelism in our area, to pray for church health and protection in our area and labor alongside them. Now, for various reasons, we have to separate for um, other doctrinal issues, but the gospel is still the center of it. Do we believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior? Do we believe that scripture is inerrant? Those things lock our lives together. And that is what will create that universal, is that big picture. All true believers from all time. Local would be the local body of believers in a a distinct place in a distinct time. You know, one of the things that I've seen throughout my life is people looking to what we would call like a parachurch organization. It's not a church, but it's a Christian organization. And we all love Jesus and we all are on this particular mission and we're all really passionate about the same thing or other Christian communities, for example. Can you talk about what sets the local church apart from parachurch organizations and other Christian communities that are not local church bodies? It's a wonderful question, and I'm so glad you asked, because I feel like this is a topic that gets assumed, but not sometimes discussed. And thinking through this has been really helpful for me. I have such affection for a lot of the parachurch organizations. There's so much good that parachurch organizations do. I grew up in a home where Bible study fellowship was huge for us. So my mom and my dad were both teaching leaders. So I grew up with both my mom and dad serving that parachurch organization faithfully. And para in Greek basically means alongside. So the whole point of parachurch is to come alongside the church. It's not to supplant it. It's not to subvert it. It's not to be in competition with. It's to almost to highlight and to undergird the work that the local churches are doing. And that's campus ministries are like that. Journey Women is doing. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're coming alongside. You're trying to encourage these ladies. Hey, this is so great. You're getting good things through the podcast. But there is nothing like what can be done in local churches, because the local church was recreated by God and for God. It is his creation. And if His he has created it, then we are to, there's something that we're supposed to do in response to that. And he tells us in his word that that is where his glory is displayed is through people. And so you talk about community. Yes, we were created for community. I mean, from the beginning of our lives, we crawl and ache to be a part of something. I mean, that's what it's like in deliveries. I think about this all the time. These babies know their mom and they, when they come out and they can hear their mom and they smell their mom and we put them next to their mom. But the difference is that because of sin, we don't crave the Lord like a baby craves mom. We run away from it. And so that's why I think we have so many problems when we think about local churches, because we actually want to deny what God has given us as a means of grace. Mm. We want to push back against this beautiful thing that God has given us, sometimes because of hurt, sometimes because of shame, sometimes because of damage, sometimes just because of plain old stubbornness and sin, that that's not a reason not to be part of things, right? If that's what God has created for us. But those parachurches can come alongside and help 
kind of bring and steer some of those people who might be alienated and bring them and say, hey, this is so great. We love that you love Jesus and his word. Let us show you how it can be demonstrated so beautifully among a people when they are even imperfectly, it's still a beautiful picture. That's what's so great about it. The Even the imperfect demonstrates a beauty because God is in the business of redeeming. And so I think there's a lot of that. I think that diversity that is seen in a local church is different than you see in parachurch. Parachurches oftentimes bring about like-minded things. So yeah. think journey women, for example, is awesome, but it's going to be, well, let's just start with women. The, obviously <laughs> yes. it's women. I mean, Only. I'm not saying dudes aren't listening. <laughs> Probably. I'm sure my husband's heard plenty in the bathroom as I'm playing my podcast. Getting ready. But it's basically, it's, you know, it's by women for women and yeah. which is a beautiful, wonderful thing we could talk all about at some point, uh, but there's, there's this uh, age thing. I'm sure that you don't have, I'm sure you have diversity of age, but it's not super diverse, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. Not very many older women listening to podcasts. They don't know what a podcast is. Yeah, true. Well, I do know one of my very good friends who disciples me. She's 75 and she Aww. is lovely. And I just think this is so great to have that age and her wisdom. I mean, she's even praying for me today, knowing this is what I'm doing. Aww. I mean, it's just a, a blessing to have that diversity yeah. of age or diversity of interest. I mean, coming to Arkansas, I'll tell you, like our interests and my, the way I'm built is so different. And it's taken a while for me to uh, kind of understand and get to know, but I wouldn't, I'd miss out on some of what God is doing through his people if I didn't get to know or tried to understand and serve alongside these people and not just to sit there. So, I mean, going back to one of the other questions of just not being a participant in the service, but just being an attender, you miss out because there is wonderful thing that comes through service and being a part of that. So in the parachurch, oftentimes it's not necessarily service, it's to receive. Whereas the local church is a place where you can give of yourself, not just to be a consumer, but to actually be a provider, to use those gifts that Paul talks about, right? What for the church? That's what he says over and again in that passage in 1 Corinthians 14. It's like that. It's for the for the development of the church, for the benefit of the church. And that is to be done that way. The pair, not that parachurch can't utilize your gifts, but it's to be, that is really not what God had intended. He has intended for it to be done in the local churches. That's where it's supposed to be highlighted and blossomed. Yeah. I pray that Journey Women will strengthen the hands of the local church and that other parachurch organizations will have that vision as well. You know, you mentioned this picture of a family and a baby being born to a mother. And I love thinking about the church as a family, the family of God. I think that's one of the really helpful pictures when we think about what we can do for each other in the context of a local community, in the context of a local body. When we're thinking about families and when we think about the love that we experience in the context of the family, I think about my kids, you know, their ages seven, five, and two right now, and how there's so much love that undergirds our life with each other every day. But there's also so much correction and so much discipline. And, you know, this is something that I hadn't experienced until being a part of the church that I referenced outside of Columbus, Georgia. It was really the first church that I've been a part of that took church discipline seriously. Can you talk about the value of that? I think it's easy for us to see the value 
of discipline when we're looking at a family unit and when you see a mother lovingly correcting her child for some kind of behavior that's going to harm them or be a harm to other people. And yet when we think about church discipline, I think naturally we kind of all take a step back and our individualism and our independence kind of balks at this idea of welcoming other people into our lives to the degree that we're able to really, like you said, speak intentionally, lovingly, caringly into the lives of other people. But then when we're walking contradictory to scripture, was the value in having a safe place for some of those really hard conversations to come about. I love to be able to talk about this, actually, because as a mom, I think I've experienced it differently now, having trained children. So my kids are now 19, 18, 16, and 14. And there's been a lot of correction (laughs) over the years. And I've learned what it looks like when I do it imperfectly. And I think about the fact that God corrects us perfectly And what a Hmm. wonderful thing that that's the kind of heavenly father we have. But he has called us to demonstrate that kind of love in correction for one another. But it's best done within the local church because of that knowing and being known component we talked about earlier. The purity of the church is of utmost importance because the church says to the world what God is like. So if sin is allowed to fester within a church, it lies to the world about who God is, which is just a travesty. And so that's why in 1 Corinthians 5, we read Paul exhorting the Corinthian church to remove the immoral person from among them. The church was allowing this unrepentant person to continue to sin, and they weren't doing anything about it. In fact, Paul accuses them of being arrogant by allowing it to continue. And he strongly encourages them to be filled with grief and to remove him from the assembled body. When there's corrective measures taken, it protects not just the person, but it protects the reputation of God. So two things are at play there in church discipline. It's the protection of the person and it's the protection of the Lord. So I think when we think about discipline so often, particularly in this day and age, we think about it as being punitive rather than restorative. And I think if we can turn our minds to think about it in in more of a restorative way, because that's what God's love is for us. Whenever he corrects us, he corrects us, and it's always in love. You know how we talk about this in love. The love is what undergirds what he does for us, and not just Mm -hmm. for us, but we bear his name. And because we bear his name, he loves us and wants to display his love through us to the world. And so we have, we are walking billboard signs of who God is in our individual lives. But when we collectively come together, it's like a shout out scream into the world of what God's like. And so if a bunch of broken down signs are allowed up there, you can't actually even read the message because the billboard is missing so many pieces or so many pieces are marred. It's like, what's actually happening? What are they trying to advertise over there? Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't tell the truth of who God is. And so discipline is the way that we are saying, hey, 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 caution, mm-hmm. caution. And the Lord gives us instructions on how that's supposed to work. Matthew 18, as we know, we go one to one and then two to one. And then he says, bring it to, it doesn't say a group of people. It doesn't say, it says, take it to the church. Hmm. That's what it says there. It's to be taken to the church. Why? Because the church should be the safest place for Mm -hmm. a Christian who is struggling with sin. It should not Hmm. be the most damaging place, which is so often what happens 
because we allow things of the world to tell us how we're supposed to run the church rather than God's word to tell us how we are supposed to live lives together in, as his people. And he tells us, hey, when you see someone who's sinning, you need to go to them and talk to them in love. Now, he always talks about checking our own hearts in that process, of course. But there, if there is unrepentant, very visible sin that we can see, then we need to go and talk to that person about it. And if it's not taken care of, then we bring another person with us to say, hey, we care about you. So I was talking about this with my daughter the other day because she was struggling with something. And I said, you know, it hurts what I'm doing right now and how I'm talking to you. I know. But what you are unable to understand about what's happening is this is actually meant out of love for you. Just like when you were little and I would tell you, hey, stand next to my side as we're walking along a busy road. And you would just test me by stepping out just a little away from me where I couldn't get you. And then a car comes by and I grab you hard and I yank you back into me. That is not punitive. That is absolutely strong. I'm trying to bring you back in to protect you to get hit by from getting hit by that car. And so that is what church discipline looks like. Perfectly done. Yes. Is that perfectly done? No, because the church is full of sinners, right? Yeah. And it's not always perfectly done, but that is, that's the end goal is to demonstrate to the world how God loves us by correcting us and sanctifying us and making us more like him. Amen. Well, we've talked about this in and through our whole conversation, really how love just undergirds our life together as a local church. And you've referenced this, but how does that love for one another really fuel our time together? And how does that also reflect the love of Christ into a lost and dying world? The Lord is love himself. He demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And so that kind of love is supernatural. We cannot actually fully understand it. You know, it says that uh, for some who might, they might kind of love that they would help them, but those who they love completely, they may possibly die for, right? And this whole idea of like, you might give of yourself for somebody who you kind of know, but when it comes to your family, you're willing to do anything for your family. Generally. I mean, I know there are a lot of, you know, caveats to something like that, but if you think about your love for Brooks, what would you do if something were coming at him? You would do anything to make sure to protect him out of love for him. And what does that tell the world? If you didn't, it's like, do you really love him? Do you really care about him if you're unwilling to to do hard things for him? And so I think when the church demonstrates how we go out of our way to love one another, particularly people who are unlovely, particularly people who don't look like us, particularly people who wouldn't fit in our genre or season of life, that says something about how God loves people. God doesn't love the same way we do. And that's what uh, it says in Samuel. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart and we can't see the heart perfectly. And so he tells us to love one another. And in so doing, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. You know, John 13, 35. I mean, that really is what it is in Corinthians. That was Paul's at pains to tell the Corinthians, let all that you do be done in love. Why? Because it's through that that you see the love of God in us, displayed in us to the world. Again, it's part of that billboard sign idea I was talking about. It's an enhancement of our message. It's one thing for us to say that we are a Christian. It's another for somebody to see us be Mm. Christians together. So I had a friend who was delivering in the hospital 
I got to be her nurse that day. It was really fun, Aww. but she hadn't quite finished. She was still in the labor process and I went home, but it's, you know, the pandemic and you, not mm-hmm. everybody can get into the hospital. And so she had asked, but gently if I would come back. And so I was able to get back in the hospital after hours and come yeah. back and be with her for the actual delivery. And it was the most interesting part is yes, I love that because that's what I love to do. But what was so interesting was the reaction of the staff. They're like, did you come back off hours just to be with her? And I said, yeah, she's part of my church. I love her. And they didn't have words for that. They didn't understand what that was like. Or the fact that when we moved um, so many times in this area, once we moved here, we had issues with housing. People came over and we moved our entire house in an afternoon because the church showed up, put all our stuff in boxes, you know, and helped us move across town to be able to do the things we need to do. I mean, it's unbelievable when that kind of love is shown to the world because they don't have categories for it. It blows their mind, truly. Well, I have been so served by this time. And I think I, everybody is just probably feeling the same way I am. They're like, when are we going to church? Unfortunately, this is going to air on a Monday. So it's going to be a whole week uh, before wait. we Six get to join together. <laughs> but hopefully this will spur them on to look for opportunities to serve people in their local church context this week or to do some research mm-hmm. on where they might want to go to church this Sunday. I highly recommend if you're in the phase of wanting to grow in your understanding of the church, or if you're in the process of looking for a local church, this book that Aaron has written on the church for uh, the Good Portion book series would be such a wonderful read. Honestly, if you just need your heart's affection stirred for the church, if you're in a hard season of church service, or um, if you're just finding yourself having a hard time getting back to church after having just walked through the last, I don't know, global pandemic that we went through, this would be a great book. Erin, thank you for writing it. Do you have any practical steps? That's mine. Um, Do you have any practical steps for listeners who want to grow in their understanding of the church? I love that you said to go and take that step of going to a local church. I think committing yourself to a local body of believers, not just being a regular attender, actually say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit myself here. I don't like all these people. I really don't. I mean, you might actually feel that way. There are Sundays where it is so hard for me as a pastor's wife to walk through the doors of that church because I get hurt sometimes. People say things that are yucky. But Mm. I also know I'm like, that's my brother. That's my father. That's my sister. I've committed to these people. And you know what? They've committed themselves to me. Not perfectly, right? And I will be hurt and I will hurt other people. We got to remember it's both sides. I'm sure I've done things that people have never said to me of ways I've hurt them. But that commitment of pursuing uh, relationship with them and pursuing membership. If your church has membership, I pray they do pursue a membership and actually covenanting with them to be a part of them in that local body. And mm. then to utilize the gifts God's given you because he's gifted all of us, but he's gifted us, all of us for the betterment of the whole. So mm-hmm. use your little body part, whatever part God's given you. If you're the eye, if you're the ear, if you're the hand, use it in service for the kingdom. And that can be done within the local church. So that's what I'd say commit. The second thing I would say, and I can't, I would, I would be remiss to not mention the fact that the Lord has given us instruction in his word. So if yeah. you want to grow in your knowledge and love of Amen. God, read his word. And Ephesians yes. 
if look at Ephesians with an eye towards a local church, just, Hmm. you know, how every time you probably have had people tell you, Hey, when you, when you read this passage, just think like Philippians, look at all the rejoice or joy. Look how many times it's repeated. Uh, Okay. Well, try that same exercise, but do it in Ephesians and think about the church. What is he saying to us? What is God saying through Paul to us about the local church? That the local church is the mystery that's been hidden for all ages. And it's finally manifest that the Gentiles and the Jews come together to defy the odds to the world of what God is really about. He's about a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And why yeah. do we know that that's true? Because in Revelation, it's fully it will be fully fulfilled. And so using Ephesians mm. is that wonderful thing to study. Mm. Ephesians is one of my favorite books. Definitely studying God's word is one of my simple joys. It's no lie. Everyone knows it. We've covered it in about every episode. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but tell me this. What are three of your simple joys when it comes to knowing and loving God? I love this question that you asked because it's they are simple but profound about who people are. I love being outside. So any type of nature and outdoor activity is definitely one of my simple joys, particularly with my husband. He takes Mondays off and the kids are now in public school. So we have uh, usually go out into the woods. And that's the one of the things that God sh- you know, demonstrated to his love for us in bringing us to Arkansas, which I didn't expect. It's beautiful here and there's a lot of outdoor activity. So it's been really sweet. So that's definitely one. I really enjoy good coffee and then a book. So I love to read and I love How to read How are our simple joys just like the same? <laughs> it's like the best. If, it's really funny. Sometimes we'll, I'll be with a group of people. I'm like, can I, how do I politely excuse myself to go get a cup of coffee and go find a closet? No pun intended to you right now. Uh, and just go read my book. <laughs> and I love people, but that's how the like, <laughs> coffee in a closet. <laughs> no, but it's so true. I mean, I love people, but I also love that God has built me in such a way where I rejuvenate better when I'm quiet for a little bit alone yeah. with, with a good book. And oftentimes they're Christian books that I'm reading, but not always. I love a good Marilyn Robinson along the way. So yeah. Anyway, but I'd say the last thing it the Lord has gifted us and graciously given us a family. And I'm so thankful. I don't take it for granted. The older I get, the more grateful I am that God gave me a spouse who loves me and the Lord very intensely. And he has given us four children. We've had hard journeys along the way, raising kids. It has not been easy. We're in a hard season right now. But one of the things I love is when we all sit down for family dinner and we just talk. I just love having that fruitful conversation. So I always tell young moms, I'm like, it's worth the effort to get them to sit at dinner because then they get (laughs) older and they start talking to you at dinner. And you're like, oh, I didn't know this. Well, tell me about your day. And they'll talk a little bit around dinner. So we love it. So we have one day a week where my daughter, who's no longer living with us because she's in college, comes back and we all have dinner together as a family. And sometimes it's hard, but most of the time it's wonderful. And I really know that's a simple joy. Well, that is definitely an encouragement to me as a mother where the kids are sitting on the table at dinner. Yes, we had that too, or under the table as we had it. Oh, well, Erin, it's been so fun to get to know you a little bit better in this capacity. And one of the things we talked about before we started recording is how uh, so many of the people who are on in the early days of Journey Women were just people in my local context or who had been a part of my local context from times past and the way that the Lord had encouraged me in my walk with Jesus uh, just through their love for Him. And so I love to hear from every woman who or man who's come on the Journey Women podcast who it is that's had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God. 
this of all your questions is probably the hardest for that reason, because there the Lord has given so many people along the way, um, and for various reasons. But when I think about the context of learning how to know and love Jesus better, especially in regard to the church, that would probably be Mark and Connie Dever. Like together, I can't separate the two of them because of the way that they loved Brad and me during the um, the beginning of our ministry journey. And held out an unwavering love for the Lord Jesus and his word like I had never seen before. And then demonstrated that in that local body that we were a part of. And I'm so grateful for their faithfulness to us over the years. We're still very good friends. And um, it's just a a joy to have known them and to be loved by them. Mm -hmm. I always say to know them is to love them. And to know them is to be loved by them. And they love deeply. And there's just an unwavering commitment to the Lord's word that I desire to grow in still as I watch them journey to heaven. Well, it's really fun to get to interview you a couple of, I don't know, maybe a few years after having interviewed Mark and really just to see how so much of what you shared, um, you can see like just how the Lord used him in your life and how you fleshed out some of those lessons with us Mm -hmm. today. So thank you so much for joining us on the Journey Women podcast. Oh, it's such a joy. Thank you, sister. We pray that after listening to this conversation with Aaron, you're encouraged to press into the church and to seek to worship and serve the Lord alongside brothers and sisters in your local context. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would love it if you check out the rest of this series, Knowing and Loving God, which we've been doing for the entire year. You can find more episodes in whatever podcast app you're using to listen right now. And while you're there, if you would leave us a rating and review, that would be awesome. Like this one from Ray that says, I am so thankful for this podcast. I'm thankful that when I listen, I don't walk away thinking Hunter and the Journey Women are the best. I want to be like them. Although they seem awesome. Thanks, Ray. I walk away from listening, thinking more deeply about Jesus, his word and his church. Reviews like this one help get the podcast into the hands of other women who might find it helpful as they navigate the various seasons and challenges that they face on this side of eternity. Thank you guys for taking a second to do that. Hey, this episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Have a great week.